a high schooler named Jack. It was a Jew, Jack the Jew. And yeah, I was like, are you raised religiously? He goes, no. Just a you know Jewish household, secular household. Don't know anything about Christianity. Kind of curious, so I looked you guys up and found this church. Know how you find an Orthodox Presbyterian church? Um, so I don't know if he was here for a school assignment. Some schools do that actually. Once you go to a church, I don't know. I gave my card. I talked to him. I gave him a simple presentation of the gospel because he asked about you know what 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 you guys all about, right? So who knows? Okay, we have a call to worship. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let's bow our hearts and heads in sign of preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 161 161. Sixty-one. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't able to follow. I, I'm a mistake. 
Let's go ahead and pray. Gracious God, we're thankful, Lord, for your grace upon us and your guidance here this evening that we can come together to hear your words, Lord. And even if we don't always know exactly what we're singing, God, our hearts are geared towards you. We ask the particular Lord God above that we will be blessed this evening in double measure as you've promised in your word that we draw nigh unto you, you draw nigh unto us by your blood of Christ Jesus. Amen. Maybe you did? Um, someone's trying to, oh, he left? Okay. I thought he was trying to get in. Psalm 94b, 94b, pardon, so this one also goes left, right, um, so uh, the uh, first four stanzas, 94b.
servants, God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a glorious three and one, to understand you, Lord, as you've opened our hearts and given us your word. We have the Bible, Lord. We have friends and families and churches, God, and pastors who preach the word to us, God. We heard and we believed. And we're thankful for that, God, so that we can be here this evening to praise your name. We can come here this evening, Lord, the things you have blessed us with in Christ Jesus, and also the wonderful blessings upon our bodies, Lord. Uh, although not to the fruition of what we will see in heaven, God, it's still a blessing from your hand, Lord, for it's more than we deserve. In particular, God, we ask, Father above, to be with our civil government for our leaders and the laws, Lord, especially here locally that impact us, God, that you would give us and preserve, Lord, those good rules and commandments of men in accordance to your word, God, and those wicked ones would be ignored or undermined or overthrown by the powers that be, we ask. Be with our mayors and be with our sheriffs, Lord. Uh, Be with the governor and the judges, God, of this state of Colorado. Again, to do the right thing and maintain such uh, order in us, society, God, preserve the innocent and the widows, in particular, Lord, and again, those who are wicked and perpetuate wickedness, God, would be uh, shut down if they would not repent, if they will not change, God Almighty. We certainly pray, Lord, that those local leaders of ours would have access to the pure preaching of the Word of God, uh, to an unadulterated presentation of the truth of your Word, to give their hearts. We pray, God, for this nation, a nation, Lord, that has done much wickedness, but also done many great great things in the past, at least for their own people. And we ask God for uh, the Supreme Court, for the President, uh, for the House and Senate, God, again, to do the right thing, and for those laws and people and policies, Lord, that are wicked and direct violation of your will, we pray, God, and ask and implore your removal of them, the change again of their hearts, God, uh, to shut them down one way or another, we ask, Lord God Almighty. For we cry out for justice in this land, Lord, and for mercy, and for righteousness, for peace, for safety, especially a God for your church and your people and your children. We ask God for this economy uh, to be healed, that we would have stable prices, God, for goods, services, for our housing, Lord. We pray, God, for good jobs, lasting jobs. Jobs that have good hours that would not take more of the family than needed. Uh, Jobs, Lord, that can provide for a family and their children, we pray. We have less and less of them, it seems, and more and more weaker jobs in this economy, God. And again, it seems many of our leaders on either side of the political spectrum don't seem to know what to do or even care. We ask that these things would change, Lord, again, for our neighbors, because we love them, but especially for those in churches, especially for the household of faith, God Almighty, that you would help the young Among us, Lord, find good, gainful employment careers, Lord, as we used to think of them, Uh, long-term jobs that have good prospects in the future, as near as we could tell, humanly speaking, we pray, would be there for them and for their children and our children's children, God. We're thankful, Lord, for the protection we've had and the blessings, Lord, that even with inflationary prices, we can still afford many things, God, even if we have to cut back in various and sundry other areas. That this would not grow worse because it will affect the churches, God, it will affect the families and our children. We pray, God, in particular, Lord, for your spirit to be with us, that we would listen to the wisdom of your word and to one another, as to the extent that we have wisdom and experience to teach one another, God, so that we can have a productive week, Lord, in the days ahead, that we would take care of our home, that we would work well on our jobs. 
that we would be good citizens and neighbors, Lord, that love our neighbors and are doing good for them. We pray for a proportional rest throughout the week as well, and the evenings, God, and on the weekend. We're thankful again to have access to rest on the weekends, for the vast majority of us, God, and to have access to the worship of God and to be with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. May we, Lord God Almighty, think of you throughout this week and take the means, causes, and occasions so that we can continue to grow in sanctification and holiness and do our duties before you as husbands, as wives, as fathers and as mothers, as children, Lord, as students, as teachers, as members of neighborhoods and citizens of society and our church, God Almighty, that we would take responsibilities seriously, God, responsibilities that come from you, as you read this morning, Deuteronomy 32, and do it carefully as unto you, God, with a joyful heart we pray. In your name alone, amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. ask, Lord God, our Father above, for your continued blessings upon us and upon those who are able to give tithes and offerings for the work of your kingdom. We pray in thee, God, it will continue to be used for the work of the kingdom and that our funds would grow, Lord, not for our own sake, but for your sake and to help those in need, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. It's going to sound familiar because there are themes, of course, in Proverbs and in the Bible. Repetition of important ideas. Proverbs 6, verse 20, although it's part of a larger section, I will only read verse 20 because it is more of a topical sermon. And then going through the text in particular. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Let us pray. With these words of admonition, Lord, these proverbs that are common in all nations, God, to one degree or another, when they take seriously the call and command of the parents, God, may we continue to take such things seriously. May we be reinforced in our belief, Lord, through the sermon, encouraged that this is the right thing to do in a day and age that hates our families and wishes to destroy them, is trying more and more, God, to uproot children from their parents and divide parents from their children. Help us, God, to fight back against that as best we can and our little part of your world and a little part of this America. In your name we pray. Amen. Love of the family is dying. I think it's quite evident. We can see it all around us. Sitcoms and commercials for a long time and movies, of course, and books have made fun of parents while extolling the foolishness of children and how they get in all kinds of trouble, and at the end of the day, the kids were right, the parents were wrong, and everyone's happy. Yeah, right. Businesses and 
Queer pressure wants us to leave them behind. Peer pressure wants us to leave them behind, the parents behind, of course, by either ignoring their godly advice or moving away and never being with them ever again for no good reason. Uprooting ourselves and separating ourselves from the good influence around us. The, the loss of love for the family, for parents in particular, harms society, hurts families, and damages individuals for life as they are scarred. The proverb assumes these problems and assumes, the, therefore, the importance of the family. This is why we often read of sons and children and fathers and mothers in the Proverbs. I looked them up to help us withstand the lies of society and to encourage us and our children and our children's children to persevere in the honor of our parents. We shall look here at Proverbs 6.20 and other texts to reinforce what we believe, to uh, learn anew and to perhaps see it from a different light, the importance of family and parents in particular. And so the first point here is honoring parents. The text we have, of course, here is Proverbs 6.20, which continues uh, further on. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck, verse 21. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, and they will speak with you, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Obviously, he's talking about the law of God. The law of God is given by the parents, but in this context, what I want to emphasize is how he assumes and uh, emphasizes the fact that children must listen to their parents, of course, to the extent that they are faithful in giving God's law and his word, and that we are blessed by these things, and we ought to learn from them and grow by them. But what we get here in particular, to show you a different perspective of this text, and other texts like this in the book of Proverbs, this theme of parental authority, of learning from your parents and growing by your parents, is the hierarchical assumption assumed in the text, that there is a son, that there is a father and a mother, and that they are over the children. The child is under the parents. So recall, I mentioned a Sunday school class, this organization uh, that is promoted in the OPC, unfortunately, in some little circles, uh, and elsewhere as though it's a great thing to learn from them. They have perhaps a number of good things to learn about. There are practical things you can do to avoid uh, abuses, right, and um, problems like that. But when they have people in that organization saying, hierarchy is not in the Bible, you're like, okay, let's go on to someone else. That's taught in society. It's pushed into the churches, unfortunately. Even the small denominations, this kind of influence is being pressured, even if it's unintentional and people don't realize what they're saying. That's what they said. I read it. And that's what they're going to push, unfortunately. We must push back against such things. It's all around us. This egalitarianism is the word I use. You've heard me say it before. That's the, I would argue, uh, the ground motif of thinking, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, they say, that permeates our society. I was born in this way of thinking. You're like, but it's worse now. It was worse back then. We just didn't realize it. It's now the logic of it has unfolded further and further where everything has to be equalized. All relationships have to be a level playing field, and that means the next great wall to fall will be children. Because they are protected, as we know, by this hierarchy where adults say, no, you shall not teach your kids XYZ, like in Florida, or LBGTQ, as in Florida, and break down that wall. So the hierarchy, in fact, is actually protective. The hierarchy is assumed in this text and in all the Bible and explicated elsewhere, as we know. Uh, the larger catechism of the confession tells us in question 126, what is the general scope of the fifth commandment? 
What is the general scope? What's the what, what is it, what's its purview? What's it covering? What's it talking about? The general scope of the fifth commandment is the performance of those duties which we mutually owe in our several relations as inferiors, superiors, or equals. Now, there's some language that gets people's feathers ruffled up. And I've gone over it before, and I think you all uh, uh, understand where I'm coming from when I use this language, this old language, that I think is helpful language because it helps us reinforce and therefore fight against what? As a means, cause, and occasion. Against the egalitarianism that is consuming our nation and our churches. That although I am a superior to you as a pastor with respect to the knowledge of the Word of God, that doesn't mean I'm superior in every way. I could forget a Bible verse and you remember it. So in that sense, you're a superior. Okay, do you feel better? I mean, that's this is practical life. I know this, and I should be humble enough as a pastor to be corrected by you if I'm in error. In that sense, you're superior to me because you caught me in error, and you are going to, in humility, correct me. That should be a given, and yet here we are. <laughs> we know how the world's, uh, and the church, unfortunately, their feathers are ruffled. So parents in this regard are superiors. They are superior in a specific sense. Uh, the language used in that organization, for example, is, is typical of moderates and liberals, very vague and fuzzy. Uh, you know, they, you know, when you believe a, a husband's the head of the household, you believe he's superior. Well, yes, in a specific sense. Not in every conceivable way. There are wives who are smarter than their husbands. They'll take an IQ test and blow them out of the water. So in that sense, they are superior to their husband. And if he's smart enough, that is wise enough, which is a little different than smarts, right? He will acknowledge that and learn to the extent that he needs to learn from her about finances or whatever else. Again, this goes without saying. We think it goes without saying, but it doesn't because, again, people have sloppy language. So when I mean superior, when the confession talks about superior, as a, uh, as a mathematical abstraction of some sort, but in particular, concrete differences. For example, age. You can't get around it. Parents are superior in age. And therefore, experience. Because age and experience are like this. They're almost 100%, aren't they? I mean, when you're an adult and you have kids, even today, I would argue, I think, it's getting worse, unfortunately, 98% of the time, the adults are going to know better the kid almost anything relevant in life. Whether they act on it or not is a different question, of course. But short of them just you know, having brain damage or something, not having good education, living in a far-off country, uh, you know, in the countryside or something, this is what's going to happen. They just can't get away from God's providence. We just grow up, and you have, through the hard school of Knox, you're going to know something more than your kids. That's poison, for example. You need to go to bed. You need sleep. You need food. Kids are like, yeah, whatever, I'm having fun. They don't know any better. They are superior, and you want that superiority to be bent to their advantage. Because if you're not superior, if you're just as bad as a kid, woe unto you. That's a terrible household. And they exist. Where parents might as well just be kids, the way they treat and run that household. It's terrible. You want that superiority in the sense of using the advantage God gave you in providence to help others who need that help, the weak among us, which the confession would call inferior. Our, our forefathers would call Superior in essence. Age, experience, and also therefore authority, they are superiors. That's what it's talking about. That's what's assumed here in this text in Proverbs 6.20. And part of that, of course, that comes with that is not what you always hear in society. Oh, look at all the privilege men have. All the privilege. No, it's the responsibility that the Bible highlights. The privilege may or may not come. You may or may not get it as a, as a, as a man, although 
people whine about it. It's the responsibility that's supposed to come with it. People do abuse it, of course. Uh, rich people abuse their privilege. That is their responsibility. They have a particular responsibility. And they're like, oh, whatever, what do I care about that? I can do what I want with my money. That's not true. It's supposed to help the poor. It's supposed to help your nation. It's supposed to help your neighbor. Because God gave you plenty. The Bible talks about, in Proverbs, to being liberal. Liberal in the sense of giving out your ability, your time, and your money for those in need. And the and the, who are the most liberal of all people in the world in that biblical sense but parents? They give so much of their time, so much of their effort, blood, sweat, and tears for their kids, don't they? In a way, uh, a politician just simply has no idea. <laughs> now, they have a responsibility because they're exercising out of love their responsibility to nurture and to raise godly children. To Therefore, the implication here is if the child is supposed to keep the commands, the father is supposed to give the command, and the mother is supposed to give the law of God. That's their duty. That's their responsibility. And it's both of them, as we will note here. The mother is also involved in this regard, obviously. Now, children are inferior insofar as, of course, they are young, have no experience, and have no authority. Uh, teenagers are inferior or superior to their children around them who are inferior to them, although they are uh, still inferior towards adults in many ways. They feel awkward, as we know, when we were teenagers, kind of in between childhood and adulthood sometimes. So that's how, that's what that word means. Not like they're subhuman, as though we don't think they're, of course they're human. They're just humans who need a lot of help. Adults, uh, children, of course, is another special category. There, they are mostly equals with their parents because now they have grown up. They have a lot of experience, although not as much as their parents who are 20, 30, or 40 years older than them, but enough that they are more or less on the same par in a lot of ways. And we recognize this is part of the struggle. I haven't run across it yet because my daughter hasn't hit 18. Uh, and, you know, your parents relating to your children who are now adults and grown up and can make their own decisions and go off and do their own things. And so in that regard, the same relationship has now shifted somewhat. Not completely because they're still your parents and to that extent that they're older than you and uh, therefore are superior to you. You must give them honor. So the age... Increase of children does not erase the age difference that will always be the same, of course. And thus, when we are older, adult children, although the command here seems weird to us, my son, keep your father's command. Right, I am 35 and I'm supposed to listen to my dad. Obviously, that's not what he's saying. Again, it's a proverb. Short saying that has lots of assumptions and caveats and whatnot to emphasize, for, uh, for, uh, to highlight for emphasis an important moral truth, especially for the youth and young adults. But as an adult child, you still have the commandment of your parents if they taught you right, the word of God, which is to take care of your parents in their old age. You're still supposed to do that. As to your ability, to your knowledge, it gets hard again on the flip side. I've seen it uh, in counseling and in real life, of course, because when you, when you get older in age, you still think you have full mobility and full functionality and everything's hunky-dory. Why do I have to listen to my 50-year-old son? <laughs> <laughs> because you're old, and you're slipping, and you're missing things, and you need help. That's hard, but you are now coming into a position in which your, ch- your children, adult children, are called to take care of you. Proverbs 19.26 is a negative description. It's interesting, as I went through, you haven't seen all of them, of course. You can do a word study uh, and a Strong's a concordance, right? A concordance is a list of every word in the Bible and tells you what Bible verse that word can be found. You can look up father and mother, mother and look up all the proverb, pro- proverb passages. And you'll see, interestingly enough, a lot of it is 
negative or, uh, or encouraging in the sense of don't do this to your parents, but rather listen to their commands because this is a problem with youth. Proverbs 19.26, He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. So that's the negative warning. So therefore, on the flip side, you want to be a son or a daughter who does not mistreat his parents, but rather takes care of them as needed, especially one application in their old age. And so that you do not cause a shame or reproach. Now, there are reciprocal duties assumed as well. I've mentioned this in other, other sermons. Uh, the parental duty to instruct and give the law uh, to their children, I mentioned earlier in the sermon already. That is, although they have a duty here to listen, the flip side is you have a duty to know God's law, to know the Bible enough to teach your kids what the truth is and not to be lazy about it as parents <clears throat> or as people who are in the place of parents. Grandparents is another example. It still applies to grandparents to some extent, that you have a relationship and you have influence upon the grandchildren, a positive influence, of course. You are called with this reciprocal back and forth, a give and take duties. The inferior has a duty to the superior, and the superior has a duty to the inferior, in fact, has more responsibility insofar as they are given more than the inferior is given. You have more power and more authority, and thus more ability to help those underneath you. And so the bosses at companies, by definition, have more authority. They can give the pay raises. They can change the hours. They can change the work situation. And they ought to to the advantage of their workers, if they can. Not just parents, any superior. So, in many ways, a variation of the New Testament talks about this. I think it was in James. Let, 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 let not all, any of you be you know, quick to want to be leaders in the church, because they are given greater judgment, as a paraphrase of that, right? It's the same thing with any superior position in life. As much as the world covets the superior positions because they want the privilege without the responsibility often, it seems to me. And that's what you see. And that's what we saw in 2020. Give me all the goodies. And they don't want to do the hard work. So there's a reciprocal, excuse me, you'd think I'd had uh, caffeine, but I didn't. Reciprocal duties. Now, Obviously, when he says, children, keep your father's command, he means obey it, obey God's law, and follow through. And this is how you honor God. right? The word honor is in but what do we get in the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, 19? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor is the broadest category. Obedience is but one part of what it means to honor your parents. The word honor there... In Exodus, in the fifth commandment, is to is the same word we hear for God to give Him glory, to give heavy or weight. It's heavy or weighty. That is to give due consideration to another person. The proper um, response of honor. This is a high and exalted office. The parent. It's interesting, right? God is called what? Our Father. And Christ is the Son. So we are about analogs of the great relationship in heaven. Now that honor, as I said before, is expressed in various and sundry ways. Two particular ways here is to love and to obey. Children loving their parents, the best way they express their love is by obeying their parents. Again, even as adult parents, right, you take care of them when they're old age, you respect them, you are quick to listen, even, even when you're out of the house, you're quiet, and, but you still make your own decisions, of course. To think well of them in your hearts and in your lips. 
take out their advice if they have good advice to give. Sometimes you, by, by the time you're 50, you're going to have more experience in other world, other places of life than they had in their places in life. And you can help one another in that regards. Parents to children on the flip side, of course, are not to let their love turn to license, for example, which is we see, I think, in spades in America where people let their kids do all kinds of things and make excuses for them. Oh, they're just kids. Kids will be kids. Yeah, that's the, that's the problem. <laughs> and kids will be kids. That's why you have a whole book called Proverbs on this. Lots of it talks about children and sons and daughters. And to reward them, to encourage them. In particular, you think of in Ephesians, right, where Paul writes and admonishes and says, you parents, you father and picture, don't exasperate your children. And he's implying there, you've got to remember, they're kids, they're not full-grown adults. This is something I think is true for adult men. They, they struggle a little more than I think women do typically, on average, uh, with kids and not understanding, look, this, this kid can't quite get to that level. Don't frustrate them. And, of course, the parents are called to instruct them in God's law and his gospel. But the emphasis here, of course, is on the son listening and growing from the commands of God through the lips of their parents and, therefore, honoring them. This is the most important thing to do, to obey them and the best that you can because you want to obey God because God is speaking, as it were, through them in his word. Don't talk back to them. Uh, listen to them. Don't delay. Be quick and careful in your obedience to your parents and grandchildren as well to their grandparents. Secondly, importance of honoring parents. This is implied so far. I've talked about what honoring is, what it entails. It's a reciprocal relationship, but mostly here this emphasis, of course, is the one side that the inferior ought to listen and learn, and they will bear the fruits of them as you read all those verses here. You can read on your own uh, tonight, perhaps, in which you are blessed and protected from the wiles of the world and the devil. Here I want to emphasize a little differently a different perspective. The importance of honoring parents is the second point. The importance is emphasize one single word you heard from me, and I found out the pronunciation I did wrong. I had my wife look it up, and I found the Collins Dictionary. Can't find this word anywhere else but in the Collins Dictionary. C-O-L-L-I-N-S. You can find it online. I bought the hard, hardback copy like this, the Underbridge Dictionary. It's from England. I, my wife, my daughter's like, it's like this big. Not this big. It's Storgi. The long E. Not storge. Yeah, I was kind of speaking it like Greek. Yeah, the E is long. I, I know I went to public school, sorry, but it's still there. The word, they just took the Greek and make it the English equivalent. And the, the from England, it's in England, when I say English, it's from England as opposed to American, like Webster. They still have it in their lexicon. It's quite interesting. It's an old word. It says archaic, so it's going to disappear by, by, by the time my daughter has her kids, probably. Find that word, find that dictionary. It's a real word. It's another word for love, right? You heard that, right? You have agape and eros and phileo. Here you have storgi. And storgi is the natural affection for those close to you, especially kin. Your family. Your neighborhood, your nation. And that's how it's used in the book of Maccabees, for example. That intertestimonial book by the Jews that's not part of the Bible. I looked it up. Uh, I looked up the Greek it's quite interesting. And that word is used in the New Testament. It is a biblical idea. It's part of natural law, like we heard in Sunday school class. We know this instinctively. Animals have it, and parents have it for their kids. Even bad parents do something with their kids. They've got a roof over their head. They give them some food once in a while. They, they still do it. It's just, of course, broken up. And so in the Bible, you have it in Romans uh, 131 and 32, in that list of 
sins. Everyone does these sins and they know them and they excuse one another for their sins. And one of the sins there is without natural affection. And unfortunately, the modern translations say inhuman or without human affection or something like that, which is too broad. They've taken the word that's very particular. You heard it, right? Natural affection for those close to you, especially your kin, is not the same thing as your love for humanity, which we hear from which group of people in society? The liberals, right? Because uh, they love humanity but hate people, as the old saying goes. They don't really care about individuals as such. We should. We start with the local. That's one of the main focuses of the Bible and conservatism. We start with the local. People close to you. And you take care of them. Whether they're adopted or not, they're part of your household. So, uh, that's the word that fits this concept here. Uh, parents and the mutual uh, responsibility and the affections they ought to have for one another. It's specifically a natural affection that you have for those near you. It's the basis of society and any civilization. Without natural affection between parent and child in particular, of course, children end up what? Dead, like with abortion. Where they're told, forget your natural affection for the child. Forget the crying and the misery and the depression that you have. That's high numbers for women who do these things. That isn't really, it's not really there for that. We know why it's there, because they have an inbred natural affection for that baby. That's how God designed them. And they're tearing it down in society. And not just that, they're tearing it down in all other relationships that we have, brothers and sisters. Without the natural affection between child and parent and parent to child, the children end up dead, like an American abortion. The children grow up miserable like they do with divorced families. Children grow up confused when they have a bad home life. Children grow up rebellious when they're not lovingly corrected. And on and on the list goes. We know the importance of obeying and listening to your parents and the natural affection that should be the root of that obedience by natural law. One, let's consider this. I say they. She uh, yeah, they birthed you. <laughs> the father's there after the fact and during the fact of the pregnancy, of course, when they're up late. I was up late. My wife is exhausted, so I let her sleep. And I got up at midnight and I fed, the, I fed the baby. I fed Renee. So by birthing, I don't mean just the immediate thing, but the long process, the pregnancy, the whole line, nine yards of a child. You exist because they chose to get married and have a child. You didn't birth yourself or choose to bring yourself into existence. Their choice, of course, was part of God's choice. We know that. But God designed it that way to reinforce the responsibilities and the natural storge we ought to have for our parents and for our children. They suffered for you. This is where the husband would fit more, more or less. Uh, birthing itself, of course, is a painful event. Um, some mothers go through labor for days for their kid. Many women, of course, don't want the pain, but they go through it anyways. And unfortunately, many more women don't want the pain, so they kill their babies. But your mother chose to have you anyway. And of course, dads were there to help her and help feed the child and take care and create a safe environment for them. So he goes through his form of suffering, as it were, but not as much as the mom. And they care for you, for your livelihood until you're out of the home. Both of them. Dad works hard, crummy hours, especially when younger in the family. That is, when he was a younger man, the beginning of the family. Long hours and probably poor pay. I know I did, but unfortunately we didn't have a child then, but I would have done it for her anyways. Mom feeds you and cleans you. 
The father's taking care of the house and giving you warmth and taking care of the yard and the shoveling so you can get places and the like. The parents carried you everywhere, spoon-fed you, and watched out for danger at the street or at the mall. This is just a short list. You've all done it. Uh, I think all of you have had kids, uh, one, one degree or another, and have dealt with kids and know what it's like to take care of a child and how your parents took care of you. And so even without the Bible, just that consideration alone should reinforce the moral importance of family and of parents in particular. Raising up their children, the children ought to honor and love their parents because of all that they've done for them. And of course, they prayed and worried for you, especially as you got older. And of course, by proverbial inference, we understand the importance of the family and of parents in particular. Um, the fifth commandment is stated in the biological language itself, right? Honor your father and your mother, but we know it's a summary of all authorities in life. They, uh, their authority and their description of authority is often described in the Bible through the language of the biology of the parents, right? Kings shall be fathers for you, or foster fathers, and queens your nursing mothers, and, of course, in the New Testament, Paul talks about, in 1 Timothy 5, that the older men are your fathers and the older women are your mothers. It's all rooted in that, isn't it? Which highlights, again, the importance and centrality of the family. Even in the church, although the church's its origin is supernatural, it's built upon the natural. And that's one reason why we baptize babies and have families that are brought into the household of faith. Because God has not changed nature. Proverbs 32. 23, 22, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Proverbs six twenty. my son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Proverbs reminds us the importance as well by negation, um, negation, by negativity, excuse me, I should, have, I should have the word negativity, by the punishment. Whoever curses his mother or his father, his lamp will be put out in the dark, deep darkness. Not just darkness, but deep darkness. If you curse your mother and Father, you will be cursed. Here, Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Why did you read? I read that because the punishment shows you how serious the command is. Severity of the punishment is proportionate to the seriousness and the importance of the commandment. You don't give light sentences to serious crimes. You give serious sentences to light crimes, right? It's a serious crime. There's even a command in the Old Testament. If you're rebellious, they'll stone you to death, right? A stubborn son who's apparently drunken, so he's, he's older and of age there in Deuteronomy. And so this gruesome picture indicates the seriousness because the punishment is bad, because the sin is so bad, the sin is so bad because the commandment to honor parents is so in important for society, important for the church, important for our lives. And we're seeing, unfortunately, the fruits of the, of the death of our society that has hated their parents and rebelled against it. And we have movies and songs about the great rebellion of the 60s. It's just going to be a part of our history books, right? Isn't that amazing? Rebelling against what? Their parents. And their parents' parents, and also the tradition and their history, and their forefathers. It's not just their immediate biological parents, right? It's the whole society that was part of the rebellion of the 60s, which is a viol gross violation of the Fifth Commandment, and we're reaping the whirlwind because of it. Pray, brothers and sisters, for continued obedience 
from our young children, from us as adult children, to take care of our parents as they get older if we can. We pray for God's providence in that regard. Pray for increase in affection towards your parents, especially among Christians in the day and age where it is dying among the world around us. And pray for churches to be stalwarts of the families. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we are grateful that we can call you our Father, and you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. And so we read in this commandment, God, the importance of biological parents and families, but also, Lord, the importance of the commandment in general, Lord, and the authority and the structure that you've built into this creation and into your church, God. Help us to preserve these things, especially, again, the biological family, protection of the family, and the, Lord, obedience of the children to their parents who are faithfully administering the law of God in their life. and the gospel of Jesus Christ especially, we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 76. Psalm 76. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all.
Amen.